0: Welcome to Flushing is Burning. My name is Christian and with me as always is Grace Carbone. Grace, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I think we should get into this pretty immediately. You went to Pride Night at City Field on Friday. How was your experience?
1: Uh, well, first, it was one of the two games that the Mets won this week, which was um, nice. Uh, they seem to be very good at winning on Pride Nights. I think it was Mike Mayer had a tweet where he noted that they have like an 8.57 winning percentage on Pride Nights, which that's fun. Um, but generally, like the, the the evening itself, much like last year, I thought it went off without a hitch. I thought it went very smoothly, especially given everything that's going on with some of these other uh, Pride events.
0: That's good to hear. And... I think we're going to entitle this episode The Mets Do Not Lose on Pride Night for a couple of reasons. One, they seem to have a similar reputation on their Pride Nights as they do on their opening days. They uh, win a lot more often than they lose, but they also seem to throw a pretty safe party. And I I think that's something that is very much appreciated by a lot of people because there were a lot of teams that, either went for it and struck out or didn't go for it and struck out. But the Mets seemed to strike a really nice balance from, from what I could tell at least.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, I wrote an article for Mason Avenue about it. Um, I'll just give a quick rundown of sort of the, the, the different ways that they uh, went about the evening. Um, they had drag queen, who I believe was on RuPaul's drag race at one point, Jan sport who sung, take me out to the ball game last year, came back, sung the national anthem this year, Um, They had the comedian Matt Rogers, who I absolutely adore, throw out first pitch. Um, I'm trying to think what else. They handed out the Pride Hand fans, which were really nice quality. I did not expect them to be as nice as they were. They're, like, actually well-made. It it was... They they were, you know, showcase... um, the, the community service they gave to this organization called SAGE, which supports um, and advocates for LGBTQ plus elders, um, which I think was a, a it's a very important thing to have. Um, and the veteran of the game actually works with the organization as well, which I thought was was a nice touch um, to be able to bring it all back around into itself and you know the little they had dj night um ty sunderland was the dj so it was very much the music was was set to that and of course we had you know mark canna doing his usual thing uh he came out to uh, he had three played appearances he came out to you need to calm down by taylor swift specifically starting on the line because shade never made anybody less gay which i was like all right of course um vogue and what was the third song he came out to? I know he he also had I Want to Dance with Somebody and um, I'm Coming Out, but he didn't get to use those. He also did Born This Way. Um, it was just a fun night. Every it, You could feel the energy in there was different. was like the main thing for me. It felt electric for like a game when the Mets are in this bad skid and they're playing one of the worst teams in the league it was a game that had an energy in the in the stadium that was totally not matching what the circumstances were but it made it way more fun
0: what was the makeup of the audience because one thing I noted from attending the Dodgers pride night last year is that there was dedicated there was a dedicated section for fans who bought the special tickets to get your handouts or whatever. And I I would say that those sections comprised about a third of the ballpark and uh, everyone in those sections was part of the queer community. But I would say that maybe 75 to 80% of those people were women. Uh, (laughs) And I I'm curious if that was also reflected um, in in New York as well
1: so we sat um we were in the 300s we were in that section that's just past the caesar sports book that's that's in left field um and we just we had the tickets as part of our 20 game pack we didn't buy them special whatever so from what i could see of the very limited amount of space i had um There were a lot of people who were there clearly specifically to celebrate pride night and it was a pretty even mix there were gay women gay men allies anywhere on that spectrum you know there was so many people there for the evening um it was genuinely heartening honestly and i mean even if even if you know you you couldn't tell you couldn't really tell who wasn't there for it because they gave that fan away you know most giveaways are the first 15,000 fans the first 25,000 fans they gave that fan away to everyone all Mm -hmm. fans who came got one which I thought was a really nice touch if you came in the only way you weren't getting one was if you actively said I don't want one
0: it's also something that you can hand out to everyone. It's there's there's no size limitations, there's no style limitations. It's just uh, a beautiful idea. And and not anything that's like, you know, necessarily queer. Like I I call it a, a sorry, I say abanico instead of hand fan because <laughs> the Spanish word just makes a lot more sense to me than than the English word, but you can hand that out to children, you can hand that out to to older people like it, it it's it's something that is so universal, and I think there's there's a lot of great symbolism in, in the handout that they had.
1: Yeah, it, it fit the evening really well. It was like, I thought it was slightly tacky, but in like a great way, like it fit the vibe of the evening. It was like, it was campy. Um, And what, what's also great about it as a giveaway, not to get so much into how good of a giveaway this is, but like you said, it can be given out to anyone there's no, you know, it's just literally it's a piece of a equ- of equipment really that you can use at your prerogative. It was a chilly night. Had it been warmer, everyone probably would have been using it too, mm. which also makes it great. I mean, that was last year's giveaway was the clear fanny pack. I still use mine. It's a great util like utilitarian giveaway that also fits the event. I th- I thought it was great.
0: Now the Mets played it safe. I I, I think that that was going to be the MO for a lot of teams. There were no alterations made to their black Friday night unis. Um, there, there didn't seem to be any, um, any big changes to the stadium itself, except for, uh, the Coca-Cola corner I know was lit up in, in rainbow colors. Um, do you think that's something that might come slowly? Do you think that's something that the Mets should aim to do, or do you think that playing it safe was a relatively smart decision, at least for this year?
1: I think it was a smart decision for this year. I also would not be surprised if if the Mets do that in the next five years or so, solely because... One of the biggest, like you know, obviously Mark Hanna was out there and talking about it or whatever. The other person whose face was all over the night and was everywhere that night was Alex Cohen. She was mm. everywhere. She was on the field. She was meeting fans with Jason Collins in the in the in the uh, concourse during the third inning. She went down to the Jackie Robinson Rotunda and was handing out fans to to people coming in before the game even started. I mean, she took the initiative on this to sort of be the face of this. And it's not the first time she's done this. So there's obvious buy-in from the top level of the organization. So I think it might just be the case of, like, once they feel like (laughs) they're not going to get weird protests going on, that they'll do it it does feel like there's such an immense buy-in at the organizational level that I could totally see that happening at some point.
0: There does seem to be some room for growth because um, the Dodgers broadcast that night, I noticed the the San Francisco Giants who, who were playing the Dodgers at their Pride night at Dodger Stadium were wearing Pride-themed hats. And the Giants broadcast had pride themed score bugs and 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 they made it very clear that they were playing at the Dodgers pride night it it wasn't even their own they were on the road and I don't want to equate the two organizations because San Francisco especially the Giants is likely the most left-leaning team and city in Major League Baseball and so there is uh it's much easier for an organization like the giants to put on a display like that especially on the road especially when you're like needling the dodgers with their own like pride recent history um but it i think it just goes to show that like the mets still have some room to grow so i'd like to ask you what what would you like to see at a future pride night at city field like what what did the mets do that you think that could be improved what didn't they do that you would like to see what how can pride night be bigger and better in, in coming years
1: see it's tough because i always my my mind always goes to the realist situation of this which is knowing the makeup of baseball fans i don't know that in any any sort of capacity in the next 3 to 5 to 7 years there's going to be anything they can do that's going to be much better than what they did. There's obvious improvements they can do on the margins. I noticed this year during the in between games, like the you know the, the the bits in between the um the innings, they didn't lean quite as hard as they did last year. I remember last year um the they do like a, a over under game in the second inning and then they go back after the top of the 8th or bottom of the 8th or whatever to see if the person was right. And last year it was over under how many share songs would be played. Mm. I thought that was a nice touch. This year it was over under how many box. And I was like, alright, so they're not fully doing that. In between, yeah. I'd like to see them go back to that. Um, but generally, I mean, they, they do a good enough job for what I think you can hope for. Um, it, it definitely played it safe. But also... I, I recognize this is a, you know, billion-dollar corporation. They're going to play it safe. So there's nothing I can say <laughs> that I actively think they're going to do or would have any shot of doing in the next, you know, in this coming future. Um, but I, there's definitely – there's there's room for slight improvement, I'll say, that that would be logistically possible in the next few years
0: do you want to see themed uniforms do you want to see patches or or hats like uh, like what the giants do for example
1: i'd like to see it if if the players don't get weird about it you know like that's the thing i don't i, I don't want to see it if we're gonna if i'm then gonna have to like actively <laughs> this sounds terrible if i have to like actively confront the facts that i already know that like half of these players are terrible people um or not terrible you know They don't. They're bigots. Yeah. Um. I don't want to. I don't want it to become the story that the pride uniforms caused this issue because when that happens, it inevitably becomes. Well, why? Why would the gays do that? That for some reason is always the way that that story turns. Well, it's it's their fault for making us do this instead Mm -hmm. of it being the the you know bigots fault for not wanting to accept the humanity of of our lives um i would I, listen if they sold a rainbow mets jersey or whatever i would buy it i own rainbow mets shirts i own rainbow mets hats i would buy a rainbow mets jersey very quickly um but i don't i know mark Hanna would wear it i know francisco lindor would wear it um based on the stuff that they you know the pictures they put out and the videos that they have in the uh the thing Pete Alonso would wear it you know and and Edwin Diaz was seen in one of the pride shirts I'm sure he'd wear it but I really I know how like Brandon Nimmo thinks I'm pretty sure based on what we know about him and I don't want to like actively look at him and be like oh wow this guy just does not believe that I should have rights
0: Poor Mark Vientos, he, he goes out <laughs> yeah. on a limb to, to wear the shirt and gets dfa two days later.
1: Yeah, that was, I, I was like, I find that was the moment where I was like, okay, Mark Vientos can stick around, I guess. And then it was just like, all right, bye.
0: Nah, if, you, if you're if you hitting sub 200, you got nowhere on the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I, I'm glad that you had a positive experience at the ballpark because that was not everyone's experience at everyone's pride night at their own ballpark, but- I will say that the experience watching the broadcast was a little bit different and I don't remember how the broadcast approached Pride night in previous years, partly because for some reason, the Dodgers and Mets usually share Pride night on the same night and I'm attending the Dodgers Pride night, but (laughs) I decided to watch the broadcast on Friday and amazingly, this happened to be the shortest game of the year, which I think was a blessing in disguise, because it means that like, there's a smaller window for anything bad to happen during (laughs) Friday night, if it's only a two hour game. Um, But I was genuinely shocked to find out that. Well, let's just say that if you were an observer and didn't know that this game was specifically the pride night at city field and you didn't have access to the internet then you would not have gotten your verification until the bottom of the eighth inning because that's the first time in the broadcast that any Mets announcer and it happened to be Gary Cohen mentioned that it was pride night and they didn't even mention like what the giveaway was They didn't have Russ come in to stone-facedly display what the giveaway was in the booth. They didn't mention it at the top of the broadcast. And I don't really have a good understanding of how often they do that for their themed nights on the broadcast itself. But I do know that on the Father's Day broadcast that I watched today, they mentioned the Bucket Hat giveaway a couple of times, they mentioned Father's Day a few times, and yeah, Father's Day is a little less of a political third rail than um, than Pride Night is, especially nowadays, but I found it kind of weird that you saw a whole bunch of rainbow stuff in the broadcast everywhere and no one really mentioned anything until the bottom of the eighth inning at which point most of the fans had gone to bed or tuned out or, or or whatever. I thought that it, it was a very hush, hush sort of affair as if there was just a baseball game going on and there's rainbow flags everywhere, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about those quite yet.
1: Speaking of people whose thoughts on pride, I do not want to know. Um, kind of glad that we didn't get to hear any sort of like prolonged thing where Keith Hernandez could speak his mind on that. I'm very comfortable knowing what I know about Keith Hernandez and keeping it there. um, Because I gather he might not have the best opinions on the evening and maybe that's why they didn't go towards it. But also it's like you said, it's generally just like a third rail right now. Like a one, one wrong thing said and then all of a sudden SNY is getting 8,000 phone calls from the angriest people you've ever heard from Staten Island and Long Island
0: yeah I I have a couple (laughs) of thoughts about that because I I thought similarly as well like I don't need Gary Keith and Ron (laughs) to be the spokespeople of this night they're not of the community their opinion does not matter but they could have thrown it to Gelbs, who could have interviewed someone on the matter. Like, they could have brought an authority to speak on the issues at large and then told the three, you know, old white straight men. I shouldn't say white. Ron Darling is very much not a white person. That's <laughs> that's my bad there. Um, but, yeah, they don't need to be the spokespeople of this moment. but. They they mentioned the word pride once, and it was just Gary Cohen in the bottom eight saying, "Well, it's Pride Night," and that's it. There there was there was nothing else. And my initial thought was very similar to yours, which is S N Y wanting to distance some them, distance themselves from any potential criticism. But then I thought to myself that S N Y kind of is the Mets, their their own sixty five percent of the way by Sterling Mets, and. Pride Night at City Field is a Mets operation and SNY is the propaganda arm of the Mets. They're they're very much one and the same thing. If this were a case of NBC or uh Bally Sports, uh, a a cable channel that's not affiliated with the team in any way, making a decision to stay away from what the team itself wanted to do, I think I would have understand that a bit more, but like if S and Y is owned by the Mets, you would think that they would want to advertise everything that the Mets are doing, and that includes all the cool stuff that's going on in the ballpark.
1: But SNY Y isn't totally owned by the Mets. Like it's it's owned by Sterling Mets, who are the Wilpons, who have what five percent of the Mets. It, it's it's owned by the Mets, but it's not, it gets weird. We don't know what the internal stuff is there either. Like we don't know where on the chain of command, this sort of stuff lies in terms of that particular issue. Um, Again, can't imagine Fred Wilpon has great thoughts about this. Brother. Not that I think he's involved in day-to-day operations, but you know, at a certain point, ownership th- uh, thought processes do drip down. Um, Yeah. It, it, I didn't, obviously, watch the broadcast other than the muted portions that I would glance at on the TVs in City Field to see if, you know, a strike was a strike or a ball. Um, so, I I, I don't know. Like, I think I glanced up at one point and they were, you were watching it, they were, like, drinking, like, cocktails or something like that. That was, I was like, what the hell are they doing up there? But I wasn't actually, like, able to, to be able to talk to that. Um but yeah, it's, it's weird because it does feel like, like the Mets social media posted about it a little bit, um, you know, like they had, they had the Marcana video and they had the, it's probably dying to whatever, and Alex Cohen was posting every five seconds about it, which again, fantastic that like and the owner is actually taking charge here, given everything we've seen this year, that like someone so involved in, in the Mets is like, okay, I'm taking this over, um. But it definitely would be nice if they threw it to, to Gelbs to talk to someone because they had, they had notable people there. You're telling me that it wouldn't have been a big deal if he interviewed Matt Rogers on there? They've interviewed lesser celebrities on, on SNY than Matt Rogers, who was in Fire Island last year and was on a Showtime show and hosts a pretty popular podcast with a member of SNL.
0: Yeah, they could have done it. They could, have, they could have done everything, but instead they talked about their mocktails. They were mocktails, by the way. They they were not cocktails, but that kind of proves my point because the mocktail segment that they did was to advertise a giveaway that they were going to do a week later. They talked more about a future giveaway than they talked about their current giveaway <laughs> on the game that they were talking about, and I, I don't think it's that big a deal that they didn't mention it very much on the broadcast. I would like it to be normalized so much that they would treat it the same way that the Giants do, for example. But I, I don't necessarily need like my baseball team to be like a, a source of inspiration on my queerness because there's other media outlets that do that for me. And so, um, I, I, I think I feel similarly to you, where where it's like I would like that to happen, but you know, it's not not really the biggest deal if it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, the game itself, the, the inside the stadium stuff was good. So that's a good building block to grow off of. I mean, we talked it, we talked at length a couple weeks ago about Lou Gary's day, and, and that was terrible in stadium. At least they've got the in-stadium stuff down. Everything else can, can follow. And I mean, they're what? This was their seventh Pride night. So, you know, there's still time. There's, it's still pretty early in the process.
0: And they won. And I think that helps the vibes. <laughs>
1: immensely. That's great to be at one of the only two wins.
0: Ah, lovely. Well, we are, (laughs) we are not going to talk about the Mets as a baseball team this week, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some more pride stuff.
1: All right. And we're back. Um, so we were talking about the, uh, we were sort of dancing around the other pride nights in the league. Um, and I guess now is the perfect time to sort of cut right to the chase and, uh, While the Mets Pride Night went off without a hitch, I'm pretty sure the Dodgers Pride Night hit literally every hitch. Like, if there was a hitch to be had, the Dodgers had it.
0: Here's the thing about the Dodgers Pride Night. There was a lot of cool stuff that happened. They had a really impressive sky show. They had a lot of celebrities show up. It was a well attended game. It was a Giants game, so it was going to be well attended regardless. They tend to do Pride night really well. Trouble is, they didn't advertise any of that because they didn't want to bring any sort of attention to what they were doing because there were 2,000 jabronis that decided to crash <laughs> the $5 parking lot. Grace, that's the biggest tragedy of the protest they crashed the $5 parking lot. That's sacred ground. You don't want to pay $35 to park at Dodger Stadium. You want to pay the $5. But they took up all the space there to be arrogantly Catholic and decide (laughs) that the Dodgers were infringing upon their rights as the moral majority in Los Angeles. I, I have some beef. With, with Catholics declaring themselves, and I'm including myself as part of that because <laughs> I, I am also a Catholic, as a persecuted minority in this country, because that has been the case for a really long time. There is validity to that argument. And it still is the case in many places, but Los Angeles isn't <laughs> one of them. Los Angeles was founded by Spanish missionaries who wanted to spread Catholicism, and they are the most powerful group in the city. They own a lot of land. They own a lot of influence. They own all of the political seats in Los Angeles. There is no such thing as a persecuted Catholic in the city of Los Angeles, which is why it did not surprise me when I heard reports that many of the people that attended that protest were from outside of Los Angeles. That is not representative of my city. That is not representative of my people. I do not want anyone to get it twisted whatsoever. However, it still is very interesting that this happened, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's this. This was stoked by Marco Rubio and the Catholic League and Trevor Williams and and just the, it, like you said, the absolute arrogance of people. My, I, I'm kind of gonna also guess that a lot of that crowd wasn't Catholic. I'm gonna guess it was just a lot of like protestant slash evangelical christians who for some reason believe they are the most persecuted people on earth because we no longer because like we no longer are i guess so overwhelmingly christian in everything we do would really be the only thing because we're still a overwhelmingly christian country um and we're still there's a lot of christian stuff going on and it's not like they're they're being beaten every night it's not like they're they're being hate crimed constantly the the fact that some s- drag performers in nuns habits that have spent the last 40 plus years raising money for charity um dare to slightly mock the catholics uh that that causes them such irrevocable harm because they're you know They're so fragile that any sort of pushback saying, listen, maybe that's not the way is seen as as equal as tantamount to to murder. Um, It's bizarre. They shut down the main gates with that protest, didn't they? I saw that. I think Susan Slusser tweeted about that. That's crazy. I didn't see a a single protester amidst Pride Night. There was like, I think there was one guy somewhat near our section that, like, something they were doing, like, some Pride Night stuff, and he booed. And my dad literally turns to me and goes, Who the fuck's booing this? It was, like, so weird. (laughs) Just, like, one person booed. And it was like, Dude, read the room. Like, keep it to yourself. But, like, it's, I saw, like, the videos and the pictures. It was. That was something else. And again, it is that that was that that was I don't think that was all Catholics. And it definitely wasn't all, you know, it was probably mostly out of state people.
0: You mentioned Trevor Williams, and I do think he plays a big role in this. The the interview that he gave was funny in many ways. First of all, the Chiron saying
1: MLB's top Catholic church.
0: I, I, I they did they forget about all of Latino America. I don't know. <laughs> did they he, just
1: I think they might have said top Catholic player which is actually funnier.
0: Now they could have meant it in the same way that sports fans use the word top which is like not actually at the top but around the top but Trevor Williams isn't at the top of anything <laughs> like. I I can't I, I know he's been pitching decently well for I wanna say the Nationals. Is he on the Nationals? Is he on the Cubs? I don't know what team Trevor <laughs> Williams is on. Um, but uh I found it funny in in many ways. First of all, um he cited the Dodgers code of conduct <laughs> with regards to the protests. Sorry, not the protests, but the invitation of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. That do you remember the scene in the social network where the twins go into the, the the office of the Harvard president and they cited like the Harvard school code. That's what it reminded me of. Like are you serious? Like that's this isn't law? This 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 does not apply to invited guests. Like this is this is just a handbook that they put out and forget about because it's it's not actually that important. It's it was such a weak argument that I have from him. And and the reason why he was only able to give weak arguments was because his feelings were hurt. And there's nothing wrong with having your feelings hurt. If if you feel offended by anti-religious displays, it's not up to me to tell you that you're wrong. That's a perfectly valid thing to feel. But feeling offended is not tantamount to being persecuted. When you are at the top of the social chain, you need to expect that sort of offensive treatment. You know that that meme of you can always use an Italian accent; it's never offensive. <laughs> you can always make fun of Catholics. It's fine. Like they 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 took over the entire Southwest of the United States. They're they're the reason why. Like I'm here. Like it's they they are the most powerful community, at least in my part of the country. And so when when I hear that. Like people get offended because their, their feelings were hurt. Like, yeah, that's, that's totally reasonable. I get that. That does not mean you should shut down a fun party. That's, that's a bad response to that. (laughs)
1: I just love the idea of, like, Trevor, like, Trevor Williams doing his own, like, all the president's men where he's, like, in the back rooms and he's flipping through stuff and he's going down into, like, the, the, the parking garage and there's, like, a Dodgers employee who's deep throat being, like, go to page seven of the Dodgers code of conduct and he flips and he's like, oh, my God, we cracked the case. Um, it's. It was it was a really funny video. I like couldn't get all the way through it because it had that like same tone that all of those like right wing grifter videos have, where it's like two guys thinking they're smarter than everyone else, which mm-hmm. bothers me. I hate when people talk like that. Um, but it's it's really it's like you it, like you said like I can't tell you not to be offended at the same time. Um. The, the queer community has had a lot of that, so I'm sorry that this one thing offended you. I could probably rattle off a list of, like, 20 things right now, and we're recording this at, like, 1 in the morning Eastern time, so, like, let's tone it down, okay? You can call for your boy of of Dodger Stadium's Pride Night, but that was my favorite part was that tweet went viral like he put that tweet out never deleted it the guy who did the interview and spelled boycott boycoy. i thought that was the best like you can't even get that right do you not have auto correct
0: no no here here was the best part for me <laughs> they did a great job in making it look like a 60 minutes interview the the set design the the outfits, The audio, the lighting, everything was on point. And I I looked at that and I thought to myself, huh, this looks like a legitimate interview. Was this on Fox? Was this on ABC? Was this on NBC? And I looked at it like a really, really tiny watermark in the top right-hand corner. And I thought, oh, it's something I've never heard of before. Brilliant. That's exactly what I needed to see.
1: (laughs) It's just, this is, it's so stupid. Stupid. I feel like I say that every week about these because they are they're all so stupid the Bud Light protests the the drag night protests the drag breakfast protests just drag protests and general. everything about this is so stupid because it always comes from the people who want small government. But then immediately are like we have to ban this thing at a federal level because mm-hmm. it makes me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like you you can't have it both ways here, pal. Like you got to choose one or the other. Um, but you know, I guess Trevor Williams probably feels pretty safe now that he's got the uh, the commissioner in his corner.
0: It's I wouldn't say it's <laughs> sanctioned by MLB now, but it Rob Manfred had every opportunity to say the right thing and as he usually does he he didn't on many things um but in in this instance yes he he was asked at a press conference about the uh about mlb's initiative or the potential of mlb to ask all of their teams to wear patches uh, on pride night or to to celebrate pride night or to mandate that all teams celebrate a pride night in reference to the texas rangers being the only team not having a pride night on their schedule and he said something along the lines of him not wanting to interfere in what the players wanted and him respecting the players beliefs and letting them decide uh, what they want to do and the pro labor in me is very supportive of a comment like that in the abstract but it, it's it was very interesting to see uh, Rob Manfred taking the side of the players in this instance, because I can't remember that ever happening. I don't remember him giving a pro player argument during the lockout last season. I don't remember him giving a pro player argument when calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal. It seemed like a very weird place for him to be pro player on this issue. He didn't have to answer it this way, but this was a very tacit support of anyone who wanted to lend their voice to their bigotry to a microphone and uh not surprised, but also not not very thrilled by the way the commissioner approached this.
1: Yeah, you know, like everything that Rob Manford does, I sit back, read the quote, and go, Oh my god, I hate this man so much. Like like the the way in which he answers these questions. And I mean this one was co- like you said weird he took a pro player response although i mentioned back when we talked about the um the the like initial stuff going on with all the the dodger stuff and everything that there might be a thought process behind this where very clearly he works for the owners um that if they let the players start making their own like like oh we don't want to force anyone to take us like you know we need to protect the players beliefs that this might create this might sow some division between the more left-leaning players and the more right-leaning players and might cause a rift in the play association i wouldn't put it past rob manford to think that way um but it was it was a very weird comment that came in the middle of the <laughs> One of the just most smug press press conferences I've ever heard that was like ninety percent A stuff and at the end he was like, and I think we should let them be bigots. Um just just weird that it was like yeah, I, I wanna protect the players. Statistically, we've spoke about this when we've talked about Billy Bean's book. Statistically, there have been, and there currently are And I mean, we know definitively there is at least one at the minor league level, but there's statistically a very good chance that at the major league level, there are queer players. Who's protecting them? Hmm. Who's protecting them from the guys in their clubhouse that believe like Trevor Williams or Blake Trinan, uh, that that anything in this area is offensive to them and and very clearly that language becomes coded and, and lends itself to being, most people who believe that way don't stop there there's a there's a pathway here where they're not going to support these guys. Who's protecting these players that aren't out because they're afraid of the the ostracization from the more conservative religious members of the clubhouse. We get to protect the players to say whatever they want about you know trans people or drag groups or gay people or whatever but we don't get to protect the the players who might actually genuinely be scared in this clubhouse. And I think it comes down to that comment comes down to what everything else in Rob Manfred's tenure as commissioner has come down to, which is just a lack of care or concern for anyone other than himself and the 30 owners he works for.
0: The ability – for someone like a trevor williams to speak out in defense of his religion is an indication that he doesn't need to be protected he doesn't need the the same sort of support that a glenn burke might that another queer player might because he has all of the support in the world to lend his voice to this he i doubt he felt scared putting out his beliefs into the public ecosystem. I doubt he felt any sort of 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 doubt um, going through all of this. And I think players like that need to ask themselves those type of questions before putting themselves on wax like do they have anything to lose by putting these opinions out there? and if they don't then what's the point what are you actually fighting for if if there's no risk being taken here especially if what you're saying is is going to antagonize an entire group of people and I I don't know what MLB can do about this because like they don't they don't you know manage the players that's the players association and the union isn't going to tell its people to shut up unless it affects the bottom line and that's that's really where all of this coming that that's where all of this comes from as soon as people start losing money and maybe they will when an anthony bass situation repeats itself people are just going to continue saying these things and the only thing that matters is how well they hit and how well they pitch and it's uh It's hard. And it's, it's, it's hard to be a queer baseball fan. When, when you see stuff like this happening in the year of our Lord, 2023,
1: (laughs) it's, it reminds me a lot of like, what was that 2021 when everything was happening with like Jared Porter and Mickey Calloway and all that stuff was coming out about several men in baseball. And a lot of them were connected to the Mets in one way or another. Um, And it was very difficult continues to be difficult but in that moment of all of that ridiculousness it was very difficult to be a female baseball fan because it did feel like no one cared like the reporters who were reporting on it they cared to their varying degrees but like specifically within the game no one cared you know trevor bauer got 40 million dollars however much money he got no one cared and that's what it feels like right now it's just like no one cares no one no one mark mark canna cares um to the amount that he is allowed to care um he he, you know mark canna is like one of the only baseball players who actually does come out and speak positively about the community which you want him to say more but at the same time when every other Blake Tronan, Trevor Williams, Anthony Bass. Who I'll be on. I'll be honest with you. When you said his name, I was like, "That's the guy I was thinking of." I had forgotten he existed in the last week. Good. Um, which yeah, great. That was that was a nice week of my life. Um, but like those guys, there's so many of them. That's the thing. Like Trevor Williams, MLB's top Catholic player. When he disappears, there will be another top Catholic player to take his place. It's there's there's no there's Glenn Burke there's Billy Bean there's T.J. House there's Anderson Combos in the, in the minors who else is there? There's four people that we know of who have come out while playing somewhere in the MLB system or after coming after playing somewhere in the MLB system. There's thousands of guys who think the way that Trevor Williams does.
0: Yeah, well. 12 more days of pride as a dictator of this recording. Let's uh, let's enjoy it while we can. Grace, do you have a movie for us this week?
1: I do. Um, so I was going back and forth. I was trying to think of, of because I wanted to do something of a double feature again, uh, but I wanted to sort of stick to stuff that I thought might be a little bit more underseen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go for um, true, lesser known true stories this week. And the two I'm recommending are Colette from twenty eighteen, and Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which is from twenty seventeen. Colette is about. Let me just make sure I get the name right here. So Colette was is stars uh, Kira Knightley, um, and it is let's say Colette movie. So it is about. I want to make sure I know because she's a writer. Uh, it's about. Colette the writer um and then she starts writing these novels about Claudine in Paris uh but it all takes place in France so all the titles are French but I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce them but she marries this man or, or she gets to get with this man she's you know living this life whatever but she it, it's it's not a real marriage for her she ends up starting to see this um this woman missy who presents as male publicly um it they never really go into the gender politics of that just because at the time there wasn't really language for that um in the way that we have it now but it, it it's a very fascinating story about basically this person who was like yeah i don't give a shit about any of this stuff that's going on i'm literally just gonna live my life and If these books sell, they sell. If they don't, they don't. But you know what? I'm 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 rich now. Who cares? Um, And then Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman is from 2017. Uh, It has Luke Evans, um, Rebecca Hall, who I adore, and who's who's plays the Bella Heathcote. It's about the guy who created William Moulton Marston, who created Wonder Woman. not many people are aware of the fact that he was in a polyamorous relationship that was also uh, very big into bondage play which when you realize <laughs> that that's who created the story a lot of things about wonder woman start to make sense
0: mm.
1: yeah and it's it's a really fun movie now both movies are also made by queer filmmakers. Um, Colette was made by Wash uh, Westmoreland and Richard Glatzer. I believe Wash Westmoreland has unfortunately passed away since that movie. Uh, no, it was Richard Glatzer who died. He died in 2015. Um, I, believe, I don't know if he got the director credit on Colette, but he definitely got a writer cl- uh, credit. He passed away from ALS. Um, but they were like a, a husband pairing to, of directors. And then professor marston wonder woman is directed by angela robinson who's a lesbian and what's really fun about these movies is that they're because they are made by queer people they are not afraid to get into like the weird shit that's like realistic but like it's they don't they don't whitewash anything it's like okay like this is this is what's going on here and i have not seen many movies that are historically about polyamorous relationships Uh, while being as fun as professor marston the wonder woman because that's the other thing it's a fun movie like colette is a very staid period drama so if you're into that sort of thing totally recommend it professor marston the wonder woman no matter what kind of movie you like you can get into it because it gets it's fun it's like they're they're very charismatic people everyone's beautiful it's just it's these are two of my favorite movies to recommend to people when they have no idea what they're about like if i can tell they're gonna dig the vibe this is what I want them to watch because it's once you watch it, you're like, I had no idea about this, but it's the coolest stories I've ever heard. Like just stuff. That's like collect takes place in the 18th century. And professor Morrison, wonder woman is like a polyamorous relationship before world war two. Like this is the, you don't think of these things that we know of now as being so historic, but when you place them in these contexts, it's so rare to see them that it's, it's, fun it's exciting and they find ways to make them feel modern and urgent in ways
0: professor marston and the wonder woman has one of the best elevator pitches i've ever heard (laughs) i don't know if that would have been easy to sell to a studio but you peak interest really quickly when you go polyamorous relationships world war ii bondage comic books (laughs) that's that yes show me that movie now
1: the woman who made it her first movie was called deb's which is one of my favorites it's about this group of four um like teenage spies and the and like the main character falls in love with the villain that they're trying to take down and and it's real it's so funny but it's like she specializes in like these weird storylines that like you'd be like okay that that it Debs has a great elevator pitch all girl spy team of teenagers falls in. one of them falls in love with the villain that she's tasked to kill
0: yeah that that's just
1: there's so she's such a fun filmmaker she's made like three movies it's such a shame that like we just treat female directors like this but like i guarantee you sit so down you watch professor, and professor marston one of them is like an hour and 45 minutes and it flies by i i couldn't believe i saw this in the theater like i literally sat down to watch it and i went who who paid for this turns out it was it was megan ellison who god love her she put good money after bad making movies she had to get bailed out by her dad but before she did she went out with a bang
0: Speaking of going out with the bang, I think that's a good time to end this segment. I, I know it's it's way way past bedtime on the East Coast, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you get to that.
1: Yeah, I gotta gotta get some beauty sleep. I only got five hours last night, so I'm really running on fumes right now.
0: More money to Angela Robinson. Thank you everyone for <laughs> tuning in this week. Uh, we'll we'll have one more Pride Month episode to go. Uh, But until then, thanks again. See you next week.
1: See you.